I am excited this morning. We are starting a new series. We are not doing Samuel. The life of Samuel has ended. He's spoken. We finished. We've had a little bit of a break. And now we're shifting all the way over to the New Testament. And we're going to do Galatians. And it will be through it several weeks. And even though Joe, you know, stole the thunder with, uh, you know, chapter 5, the, the fruits of the Spirit, don't worry. We'll, we got many weeks before we'll get there to that uh, as we work our way through Galatians. Uh, but again, that fruit of the Spirit is something that should emanate through our lives. And so uh, thank you, Joe, for sharing that as well. Well, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. I, I know there's some debate. There's, you know, it seems so like every book of the Bible, there's some debate on the authorship. But I, there's really hard uh, evidence that Paul wrote it. And I can accept that and be, be thankful for that. But um, he, Paul went to Galatia. Uh, several times on his journeys, right? So he had a love for that area. And I say area because it's not a single town. It's not a single church. It's a broad area. In fact, you almost want to think of, of many of these as more like a county. I think that would probably be a better description of some of these. It's not one little city. It's not one little area. It spans several areas and several cities. There's Derby and Lystra, all within that that area of Galatia. And so Paul is writing to a number of churches, smaller churches, and Galatians is one of the early letters that he writes. In fact, most scholars believe it, it was really close to the time right before Acts 15, which is the Jerusalem Council, either right before it or right after it. So if you um, want to kind of study along with this, I would encourage you to get in the book of Acts. In case you didn't know it, the book of Acts really is the backbone to all of Paul's letters. And if you could, if, if you had a, a string of the spinal cord and you, you had the ribs, you'd hang the flesh on these letters by the book of Acts. And so referring back and, for, referring back and forth to Acts will help you kind of understand Paul's journeys, his missions, and how he came about to be the great missionary that he was. And so that's part of the background, and we'll look a little bit more deeper in that as we, we go on throughout the weeks. But I'm excited as we start this, and we'll start this letter off with chapter 1, verse 1. Surprise by no one. Again, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Again, as I mentioned, there are several churches, and Paul starts off this letter, Paul, an apostle. Now, Paul's not bragging here. He's not, not throwing out a title for no reason. But to be honest, sometimes titles help us, right? Titles give us opportunity. Titles are recognized in many circles, Right? And Paul is putting that out there as an authority, as an apostle, someone who has spent time with Jesus, and that's his authority in what he's speaking to. And we'll see why when we get into the letter, why this is important. But titles do help us. To be honest, I, I sometimes shirk back from it, but I, I also appreciate the fact that being a pastor gives me opportunities that some other folks don't get. And I need to step through those doors quite often. And again, not as a bragging point, but it just does open up doors. And so 
those things matter. And so Paul here uses that to start off this letter, showing his authority to be able to write this to these people because it comes into question. And I love how he puts it here. He says, not by man. Man's not the one that gave me this title, but the Lord himself. And so he's staking that claim. Also, you could kind of miss it here in verse 1, but he also said, who raised him from the dead. The resurrection is going to be a key point here, especially in the beginning as we talk about the gospel. You know, we've talked about it many times, right? The, the gospel without the resurrection is no gospel at all, and there's no hope. That resurrection is a key component to the gospel. And so Paul sticks it in there, not by chance, not by, oh, just a, a comma on the end, but of great importance, because it's part of the teaching. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself out for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, interesting start, but it's a normal opening of a letter, especially for these Jewish believers, because by and large, there's still a lot of Jewish believers in the early church, right? Gentiles are coming, but not in the, not in the greater number. It's still predominantly Jews, and so this, this grace and peace, shalom, that peace would be the typical way to open a letter. It would connect with them and draw them in. But yet, he says, our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, these things are not put in by accident. They're on purpose, right? He's emphasizing the fact that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior when he says this. Again, Judaism does not do that. He's making that stark distinction between the believers. There's a separation there, right? The the, the, those that are still following Judaism believe the Messiah hasn't come yet. They did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. That's important. That's key to the gospel. And so Paul, even in the very beginning of this, is setting the stage for what's to come, for his teaching that's yet to unfold. And of course, who gave himself for our sins, right? He died on the cross for our sins. Early on here in 3... Three verses, four verses, we have the gospel already in there. It's already in place. Resurrection, forgiveness of sins, Jesus Christ on the cross, it's already there. And so Paul is laying that out as he presents his case to the churches. Again, he's praising God for that. To God, the glory forever and ever. Verse 6, now we see the, now he's hitting. He's, he's done the nicety, he's opened them up, he's drawn them in, he's, he's got their attention, and now he whaps them a little bit, right? He says, I am astonished, or I'm shocked, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This is not an easy start, right? This is not a, a, a nicety at all. Now, he's saying, hey, What's happened? I'm shocked that you're giving up so quickly. Right? And again, the, the problem for the, the Jewish believers, even early on, was they kept wanting to go back. They wanted to go back from the grace and go back to the law, back to the rules. There's, there's comfort in those. There's, there's safety in that. It's what they've known. It's what they grew up with. And Paul is saying, hey, why would you want to go back to that? 
Again, he's, he's like, what's happened to you, really, is what he's saying here. It's really a strong rebuke. We lose it a little bit in the English translation, but he's, he's really rebuking. It's like, how can you do this? He's trying to shake them a little bit and, and get their attention. In fact, he says, why are you living the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel? Right? Let me be clear. There is only one gospel. There's only one gospel. Not two, not three. Only one gospel. So Paul wants to make sure they get that, right? There's, there's not many ways here. There's not all gospels are the same. No, there's only one gospel. Verse 7 says, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, right? Confusion is not from God. In fact, Joe, did you say that? Or some, you said that this morning, right? Yeah. Are you reading ahead or just checking it? No, right? But really, the gospel is very clear and very simple. In fact, most of the time, we're the ones that, that complicate it even, even when we're explaining it. I was reminded of that over and over again this week as Linda's doing the puppet show. She just very simply states out the gospel. We're studying Romans Road and Band of Brothers. It's very simple. And again, we're using the Bible verses. Jesus is that one. The gospel is simple. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that one. He died on the cross of my sins and he rose again. It's really simple in stating it. We're the ones that tend to mess it up or we take out a piece or we try to soften it or we add to it, which is usually the case. And it confuses people. In fact, Linda was kept reminding her puppeteers over and over again, don't talk Christianese, don't talk, just keep it simple, especially for children. She could have taught that here as well for adults, right? Keep it simple. And Paul here is rebuking because he says they're thrown in confusion, but they're also perverting it, right? They're, they're trying to mix it in with other religions, really is what's saying here. Again, doesn't come out right and deny it, right? That's not the devil's way. He likes to twist things like that, pervert it, to, to change it just a little bit. Paul says if they do that, then it's no gospel at all. I love that right here at the beginning, he addresses the problem. And then it's going to continue to unfold as he goes through the rest of this letter. Again, he cares about these churches. He doesn't want to see them fall into that trap. Verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Verse 9, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul doesn't say these words lightly, right? Paul's saying really here, doesn't matter if you have a different experience. It doesn't matter if you think you heard something that's different. When it comes to the gospel, there is only one gospel. And so Paul is very adamant about it, so much so that he's saying, may God curse you if you try to lead someone to something other than the true gospel. He said, these are strong words. To a Jewish believer, these would, would rattle you to the bones and be like, oh man, I can't believe he just said that. But Paul is serious about the gospel. 
I mean, we know that by his life, right? We, we have the benefit of looking back, but Paul was willing to take beatings, willing to be outcasted, was willing to die for the sake of this gospel. And so he takes it of greatest importance. One of the questions I'm going to ask you this morning is coming up. I'll give you a, kind of a, a teaser ahead of time, but one of the questions is how important is the gospel to you? That sink in a little bit. Sometimes as believers, as we walk that faith and we go down that line year after year, we sometimes forget or we lose that excitement that we had when we first came to Christ. Communion helps with that, and we'll be doing that this morning as a reminder, but sometimes even, even that, we, we kind of lose a little bit of that excitement that we had when we first came to Christ. The wonder, the change, the awe of what God's done for us. So this passage is a good reminder for that. Now comes another warning here, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Sarcasm. I love it. You know that about me, right? Paul's using it here, right? right? The gospel message doesn't please a non-believer, because really, a non-believer, you're telling them you are a sinner and need a Savior. That's not great news if you're not ready to accept, right? It is good news if they accept it. But telling someone and being open and honest, you're a sinner and you need a Savior, that's not an easy measure. That's not something you want to tell someone, really, is it? Paul's saying that. I'm, if to be honest, I'm, I'm telling you the truth here. We were all sinners and we needed a Savior. It's not an easy message. Saying, I am willing to put my life on the line for this. Verse 11, as he continues on here, the origins. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. All right, back to Acts. Remember I said how important Acts is, right? Acts chapter 9. Homework. Go read it. Paul's conversion, right? It was sudden. It was immediate. Remember, Paul was going in the opposite direction, about as hard as you could go in the opposite direction. He was persecuting people who believed in Jesus. He was having them put to death. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus with that very intent in mind, to find them, to seek them out, and to kill them. And Jesus spoke to him and turned him completely around. Talk about change. It's about as much a change in someone's life as you can make. But that same change happens with us, right? We were once an unbeliever, and now we are a believer. Again, it goes back to Jesus Christ. It's not by man, or it's not by our own thoughts. It's because of what he did on the cross for us. So Paul knows that. He holds that dear to him. He's saying, look at me as an example, right? You know how I was before, and look at me now. I am a changed person. Verse 13, for you've heard my previous way of life in Judaism. 
how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was saying, I was an up-and-comer. I was doing well. I was moving up in the ranks. Problem is, he was in the wrong ranks, right? He was in the wrong, wrong position as far as God was concerned. But Paul knew the scriptures. Paul was a great student. He was very excited for what he was doing, and he thought he was doing what was right. So God said, nope, wrong direction. It's not my plan for you. So that extreme change, right, from persecuting Christians to leading them to Christ. 15, one of the great buts in here, and it says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Right? Not only does Paul's conversion change him, but now even one step further, it's almost ironic in many ways, but God has him go to the Gentiles, right? Like I said, he was the up-and-coming Jew. He was rising in the ranks among the Jews, and now God says, go to the Gentiles. Right? Remember the, the, the conflict that's been going on, right? Jews and Gentiles don't like each other. They don't even worship together under Judaism, they're unclean. They're separate. They're not even allowed into the same temple area. And now Paul is sent to the said Some great irony in that. And again, it's interesting, but it, again, it shows the change in Paul's life. Also, I would be remiss as we're father and pregnancy and, you know, again, the, the fight to continue that um, so that mothers will not give up their children you know, from my mother's womb, right? From before Paul was even born, this was marked on his life, right? God knew that he was going to be this and knew that he was going to end up in this, this spot, in this position. Interestingly here, Paul is making the case too about his calling but also his mission, Verse 17, it says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before, before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus, right? Paul didn't immediately go and get confirmed by the apostles, right? He, he took some time. He, he started his mission right away. One of the other reasons Paul has to keep reiterating who he was and his calling, right, is because he's coming under attack. We don't see that here in the beginning, but people are, are questioning Paul's authority. That's why Paul quite often has to keep reminding them, no, I'm, I'm an apostle, I'm sent from God, I'm, I'm preaching the word. I'm, you know, people do recognize who I am, because if you can't discredit the message, the next step is discredit the messenger. And that's what Paul is struggling here, and, and people are saying that other teachers are are saying, well, hey, Peter, you know, Peter's an apostle, we know him, but, but Paul, he was kind of later and, you know, and discrediting what Paul was teaching. Even pitting the apostles against each other. And that's nothing new, right? It, it happens quite often where if you don't like the message, then you start attacking the, the messenger, right? Discredit them. 
So Paul unfolds the things that have taken place since his conversion. He says, And after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. Just a, a little side note here. You'll quite often see about going up to Jerusalem, right? And again, if you look on a map, Jerusalem is south quite often of Antioch where Paul was and some of the other places, but Jerusalem is up on a, a hill. It's up, so you actually physically have to walk up to get to it. And so we kind of lose that here, especially being in Minnesota where everything is flat. I keep saying that, right? But they have to actually go up onto the mountain where Jerusalem is. It's stationed on a flat spot. And so he talks about going up and seeing Peter, right? Peter is recognized as one of the lead apostles. And so Paul goes and spends some time with him, right? Probably convincing him that he, he's truly converted and he's changed, but also to explain to what happened to him when he was met face-to-face -face with Jesus on that road. And then his sincerity, right? But yet Paul says, yes, Peter spent time with, but I saw none of the other apostles, verse 19. Only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Right? So he's, he's verifying, and he's saying, hey, I testify on this. Uh, it's true. Right? I've been accepted. Verse 21 says, Then I went to Syria and Sicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard of the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He is the one who, who tried to destroy, and yet they praise God because of me. Again, Paul is continually saying, hey, if it's my word's not enough, if the apostles is not enough, how about my actions as well? If, if Paul was lawyering up right now, his lawyers laid out a great case, except the authority to be the head of these churches. Like I said, the, the undertone here is uh, there are people infiltrating the church and they're trying to lead people away by giving them a false gospel. And one of the ways, especially for Jews, was to go back to the law. And we'll see that play out because the, the very fact the circumcision is going to come up and that's, that's key for the Jews. And they're going to have this battle even among the apostles about what about these Gentiles? They're not circumcised. They're, they're not part. They're not a, the, the chosen people now, but, but yet they're believers and they're coming to faith and they're acting like us Jewish believers. What do we do? Again, this is a great coming together and that part of Paul's theme throughout is unity. How do we keep this together now? We have two groups that hated, hated each other and now they're in the church together and how do we keep that? How do we hold that together? I could argue very easily that Paul says, well, the gospel keeps us together. The fact that we're believers and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where we come from or matter our race or anything else, we're believers in Christ and that binds us together. You see that through almost all of Paul's letters, that unity about being in the body of Christ. And so Paul says, I've been confirmed by my actions as well. Well, that sets us up. That's chapter one. That's kind of the, 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 the taste of where we're going. There's so much more than just the gospel, but obviously the gospel is central to that, and Paul wants to make sure that these folks get back to the gospel. 
And again, I'm sure Paul's thinking, if they don't have that gospel solidified, how are they going to be able to share that with others? Right? Even the goal of believers, we're all as believers, are to be sharing Christ with others. Please do not leave it up to your pastor. He does not have enough hours or sees enough people or get around enough to be able to share the gospel with everyone, even just in this small area. But you folks see people that I will never meet. You interact with folks that I will never get a chance to. So I put the call on you as well, as Scripture does, share the gospel. Share it simply. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we go through, but that's how Paul starts this off. And it's our charge as believers to share the good news with those around us. And so as I wrap up this morning, and we're going to do communion, and we have a, a few other things before we close this morning, but that simple message of the gospel, how important is that to you? How important is that gospel to you? And it's easy to say, it's very important, Charlie. It's the, the reason I'm here. It's, a, it's my only hope is in that gospel. Well, the follow-up to that is, and if it is that important, why do we not share it with others? Follow me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, as Paul has so clearly laid out for us, Lord, the the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of sins, Lord, and your resurrection gives us that hope for the future. Lord, we thank you so much for doing that for us on our behalf, that, that thing that we could not do on our own. Lord, give us a burden, give us a passion to share that with others. Lord, even today and this week, Lord, Put people in our paths that we can share the good news with. Help us not to miss those opportunities. May we be mindful of those around us who are unsaved. Lord, give us the courage and the boldness to speak out. Lord, I thank you for the gathering of believers. I'm thankful that we can come together as family this morning and praise you, the good, good Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone could go get the kids and let them know. And You did that? Jill, you're awesome. Thank you, Jill. Kids are coming. Even better. Also, thank you, church family, that, that we're not, not strictly under law, that we only do communion on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, wasn't able to be here, and I talked out with Bryce, and we've delayed it a few weeks, but you know what? It's nonetheless, as you know, that we do it as a church family, and so we're going to do that this morning, and as you know, and I think most of us here have been here before, but we take communion seriously, and we want to do it in a respectful and worthy manner, and so Scripture gives us that instruction. It says, so whenever anyone eats or drinks of the bread of the Lord of the, in the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner, they will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. It says, everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment 
on themselves. And so one of the things that we like to do is just take a few moments right where you're at, just bow your head just between you and God. Let's take a few moments to make sure that we recognize what we are doing. I'm going to ask Steve if he'll give thanks for the cup and the bread that we're about to receive and the importance. Taking the bread first, it says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
goes in the same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, remember me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I'm going to ask Franny to come up. She's asked for the elders to pray for her. She has a surgery coming up this week. And so, Franny, if you'll come up here to the front and uh, also ask some of you that know Franny and be praying. You can pray where you're at as well, but we want to come around her as she has surgery this week uh, for some cancer, and so we want to be praying for her. And Thursday, I believe, is the surgery, and so she's asked us to pray, and so we're going to take a moment to do that this morning, so... I'll lead, and then uh, you can follow. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Franny and the blessing that she is to so many here, Lord. And Lord, as she has surgery this week, Lord, we pray for a healing touch. We pray that you give the surgeons wisdom, that you give them guidance, Lord. And Lord, that you would just uh, remove the cancer from her body, Lord. We pray for a healing. We pray for a speedy recovery as well, Lord, as you strengthen her, encourage her, and watch out over her. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory for the work that you're going to do in and through Franny. We ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, we just uh, ask that you go before Franny, Lord, and that you would just uh, give her peace during this moment as she's in pain. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And ask the worship team to come up and yeah, be praying for Franny throughout the week. And for those in our church body, there are many that are struggling a bit with breathing issues and back issues and things that are going on. And it's one of the honors that we get to do as a church family is to, to be able to do that and to uh, lift each other up and encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ.